Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Store Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 31. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks and John Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to your comments and questions towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. Now, in terms of uh, announcements, last week I said I was going to get to Nick Harvey's question this week, and I made a point of it, and then I wrote it down on a, on a notepad file, which was sitting on this computer waiting to go. And, and the, the Windows update meme that we've all seen came into fruition. I came up in, down the next the next day and my computer had restarted. So Nick, if you're listening, I spoke to you probably about two hours ago on Facebook. Um, if you're on the show, please just, can you resend me the question? So yeah, so we can look into it. I know there was the follow-up, but that we talked about on Facebook. Um, yeah, other than that. How, how did we hit 31 episodes already? It's crazy, I, yeah? It does not feel like 31 weeks have gone through. That's crazy. We're past halfway through the year, and yeah, yeah at fifty-two, it's going to be a year. Because yeah. I don't, we haven't, we haven't missed a week. I don't think. No, I mean, I I did, but there's been a show like every week anyway. Yeah, well, there was a bit of timing change, but we never missed a week. Did we still do one when we went to Mulaney? I think we did. I can't remember actually. Yeah, no, that's right. Because yeah. we did one just before we left, and we were like, yeah, in the morning we're all jumping on planes. That's right, yeah. like rock stars. We are rock stars. <laughs> All right. So, Jordan, what have you been working on? You were telling me before the show that it's been a bit of a... Um, well, yeah. I mean, if this episode was to be titled like, you know, the sitcom of Friends, it would be the one where Jordan is grumpy because this week has been <laughs> just absolute hell. Um, it started off bad with... Well, it started off okay, actually. Like, stuff was getting done. People came back to me with, uh, you know, yes, let's go ahead, but... When they got back to me, it was two weeks after I sent them design file with no changes. And now their house is due to be finished in a week and they want their table, dining uh, seat and uh, stools. And it's just like, you dragged your feet for two weeks. Someone else has come in. I will get it done. But like, I'm not going to work until midnight every week to get this done. Now, now when you quote um, clients, do you not sort of say you've got up until this point for the quote to be valid? Um, See, with, with with a finished date in mind, you know? Yeah, there is there is like a validation, a valid period and, you know, the, the price is valid, but I don't have a time which says, well, you know, I will give you two weeks of design and if, um, if you're still wanting changes after that, I'll start cha charging. And that might be something I should look into in the, um, mm. in the future because... This has been a project of a lot of firsts. So the customers came in and they had two photos and two very different tables. Like one was a herringbone style base and one was a farmhouse. And, uh, you know, the herringbone had a standard sort of 32 millimeter top and the farmhouse, I didn't realize at the time, had a 50 millimeter thick top. I just thought, oh, you know, no worries, 32. This one will be at least a day and a half less of making because it's a lot more simple mm. uh, so i'll price this one uh they actually did tell me a budget as well um which was like you know two to two and a half thousand for the table um which i was like ah, it's 
doable, no worries. Uh, what I can do is I can offer you in black box that's on the shelf and I can give you a really good price on that because, you know, you're doing me a favor by using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, the first design, oh, then they got back to me and they said, this is, the first thing was quoting before a design was done. Uh, so they put a deposit down and then I sent through the first design to what I had in mind and instantly they came back being like, oh, the top, I really want that to be 50 mil thick. Um, uh, okay, well, I haven't got very much 50 mil stock in the in the shelf, so I run out there and I look and I was like, okay, I should be able to just scrape through. So I get back to them and I do a polite email just saying, look, on this occasion, I will do it at the price I have quoted because it's on the shelf, it's paid for, blah, 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 blah. But keep in mind, the price difference between 30 mil and 50 mil stock is not just a little bit more, it's literally double. Substantial, yeah. Like, you know, this is huge increase in price. Um, so, you know, that instantly was a bit of a blow. And then mm. because of the material is being, I have limited material in that thickness, it is just really hard to work with. It's heavy, it's thick, I'm getting splinters. Like, I got an inch-long splinter yesterday. Oh, jeez. And it's just been a real pain in the ass. Um <laughs> So, so just just to double check something, couldn't you have just laminated two of the, the, the thinner stock boards together to get up to 50? I could do that, but because they want the tabletop to sit flush with the end of the base, because the original design I had was the 50 mil frame, like the base was framed and the tabletop sat between the frame, I could have done anything like that. Um, but this, if I did that in this style, the, gra- the end grain, which is actually kind of the feature here, would look kind of out of place. Right. Okay. The the Plus. reason I, the reason I ask is because um, I've just done my vanity. I'll talk more about it, but it's it's doubled up, but it's the boards have been um, running bond. Right. And from the end grain, it actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. See, I mean, I probably could have done that if I, but I don't have that much thin stock either. Ah. Okay. So I've I've got heaps of thirty five mil boards. I haven't got mm. much 50 and I haven't got much 25. Mm. So it was mm. like it, it would have been just as much, if not more work, I guess, as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that happened. And I finally, it's taking me like four days just to get tabletop machined up. It's been ridiculous. It usually takes me half a day. Mm. That happened. Then I went in to start editing my drill press teardown video and my Power Mac, like my iMac, which has... 32 gig of RAM and five gigahertz processor, like the real powerhouse machine, mm. blew up. It just oh, no. doesn't work. So luckily I didn't delete the, the footage off of my SD card, so I have to start from scratch. But it was like a whole day trying to recover that. Couldn't do it. And then it was a whole day trying to get, uh, the rest of that day was trying to get my old PC, desktop computer, set up and running again. And it's just like crash after crash after crash. And I think I finally got that. Sorry, so was it the software or was it like, was the hard drive, hard drive toast or was it just? I, I have been trying to do everything I found online because it's just gone, it, I was like in the middle of editing and it went to this white and gray zigzaggy screen of death. Mm. And then when I try to turn it on, it gets hung up on the white screen and I've been trying to do all the re- uh, recovery commands, but I'm also not comfortable pulling it open <laughs> 
to do any repairs and I can't afford to get a professional to look at it just yet because I've just spent a couple of grand importing a laser machine. Of course. Like, As you that do. costs $2,500 just to get it into Australia. So it's just been one of those weeks. Um, <laughs> what else have I been doing? I've made some guitar stands. That went well. Um, ah, are you, are you filming it? I am filming them, yeah. So I haven't haven't actually put the finish on them. So as soon as the finish is done, hopefully over the weekend, I'll get that video out. Um, God, I mean, it's just been a, a thing. Like this is a week where I wish I never started the business because it's been, I've been right off my feet, nonstop, stretched across six different things with talking to freight forwarders, doing this, trying to start a new website for my uh, laser surfboards, trying to, go with software developer of this CAD software that I'm working with, mm. doing lamination and glue ups, changing my dust collection system because it literally fell out of the air. Doing Sorry, fell out of the air. What do you mean? Oh, so one of the chains I hit, like I ran into it with my forklift and one of the chain links that suspend the pipe from the roof snapped. And that was yeah. fine because it was still kind of supported and I didn't have time to get up there and move because I'd have to move everything to get to that pipe. So I just left it. Um, and then it was like eight o'clock last night. I just heard a nice big crash and it just, everything just fell out of the air. What? Like the, the cyclone unit, I'm guessing cyclone just unit. The pipe, just the ducting. So oh, okay. Not, 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 not all the way back, but just the ducting. Yeah. So it's just, you know, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong this week. And it's, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I, I'm not going to complain because it's already been too much complaining for me. It, but. It's so funny. So you talk about that, you know, this is a week that you wish you hadn't started. And um, as someone who, who doesn't do this nine to five yet, I have a, a pretty regular run in the mill nine to five job. There are days when I'm sitting, you know, in, in the office at my desk and I'm like, oh, you know, this is a bit boring. But I just think, would I want to be feeling like this because you're going to have bad days. Would I mm. want to be feeling like this doing something that I love? Would I want to be having a bad day doing something I love? Because that must be like, it must be hard to pull yourself back from that. I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, this has been, I was saying to Ellen earlier, actually, is that I'm, I'm just not doing good right now. Like, because I think it's overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that's going on. And I would way, way rather just be sitting in an office right now, working on a spreadsheet and then getting paid, not doing 70 hours this week. And that's not even a week over. Yeah. And not getting paid for it for one. It's just trying to establish something which is going to hopefully generate income. And even that's an unknown, you know, I've just yeah. invested eight grand on a laser cutter. There's no guarantees i'm going to make that money back i'm mm. um, having interruption after interruption and you know i just want to close my doors and walk away but if i do that then i don't get paid then it really hits the fan and then i'm like you know filing for bankruptcy not just having a little holiday so yeah. it's just ridiculous this week i mean i know next week's going to come around and i'm going to feel really motivated again so that's like fine <laughs> Is that the is that what puts you pulls you through? Is the idea that this is you know that this is just a lull? Yeah, exactly. And I think as any business owner, especially one that's just starting out, mm -hmm. will have the same experience, you know, many a times in the startup process. Mm. Oh, um, I, I don't even know if it's just the startup process. I think as you grow, your goals change, and so you never really, you never really get. Out.
out of that without, without yeah. sounding awfully depressing. I no, think you're yeah. always fighting. That's that's entrepreneurial. Entre- entrepreneurial. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think that's yeah dead on. I mean, that's exactly what it is. So, yeah, I mean, I think another really good driving force here is if I was in my old workshop where it was literally me, the only occupier, and everything else was storage, I would probably just kick it in, like kick the bucket and say, you know, I'm done. Mm. Stuff it, sell everything. Fuck this. Oh, sorry, language. Um, <laughs> but because here I'm surrounded by small business of other entrepreneurs, a word I am very hard at saying, like I've got people all around me in the same boat, I can just walk out and be like, dude, this customer is kicking my butt. This dude this, is this, a this moron. <laughs> like this, this client that I'm doing the table and chair and all that for, I'm basically just, I've given them material I'm giving them the stools and I'm just doing like the work of the table and stool. So mm. it's just like, eh, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, you know, keeping, keeping my eyes forward and knowing that there is a better week ahead is, it's fine for me. <laughs> that's what you can do, basically. What yeah. you can do, yeah. And that's Jordan's therapy session. What about you, <laughs> Um, just a, just a quick update before we get on to what I've been talking about. Um, I, I have, uh, I spoke to Joey earlier today. Um, he said he might be running a bit late, so I'm not sure if Joey's necessarily going to be on tonight's show. Uh, before everyone runs away in the chat, we're still going to try and put on a, a show without him. Um, but yeah, so if you're wondering where he is, where he is, uh, he might be joining us later. So for me this week, um, what have I done? Ah, that's right. I finally got started on something other than my bathroom, which is pretty exciting. So the for the probably about the last three months, I've had a stack of weatherboards in my workshop taking up space. They are six meter lengths in my nine meter long workshop, so you can imagine. And I think there's about I think there was about twenty of them. So there's quite a few of them. I've spread them out to paint them finished painting them and they've just kind of sat there so my workshop all my desks and my my benches and everything have just been covered in these boards but I haven't worried about that because I've been working on the bathroom so that's it's almost a a good incentive to get the bathroom done so I can get those out so I can get a workshop back anyway I've got to the point now where the bathroom is basically done Um, I'll talk a bit about that in a second and because of that I can get started on this weatherboard project so the, yesterday I got started on it. I've started putting the um, 90 by 35 mil. Do, John, do we call those two by fours here? Oh, we, yeah, but most most places, most people just call it 90 by 35. Are, are they studs or not really? Yeah, you can call them studs. Yeah. We use, like, so if you, strong back is a pretty common term out there. Studs is a pretty strong, is a pretty common word out there. But as far as I can tell, it changes from job site to job site, right? Because a two by four would be a ninety by forty-five, right? Yeah, technically, technically, but three by two is most common used. And then you also get some people call it a four by two, four by two. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I have this dimensional pine lumber in the sizes of thirty-five by ninety mil, so we're all happy, and um, I've been bolting those into the concrete wall. Um, and then hopefully this weekend I'll actually start running the weatherboards across it. Where it gets tricky is I'm trying to um, I'm trying to blend the new boards into the old boards. So up on the the upper level there's existing weatherboards. I've got to try and slip the 
next board underneath it. And instead of working from the bottom up, which is the way you would lay weatherboards, I'm working down. Yeah, I was wondering how you're going to do that. I was, I'm interested. And so my um, uh, there's been builders next door working on uh, my back fence. And I was chatting to him. He came over and, you know, we're sort of talking about our ideas on how to do this because the, the, the final weatherboard is on a bearer with this very gentle S-bend in it. It's almost 100 years old. It's just moved with the house. And so you've got this plumb wall coming up to a bend, a curved bearer. Now you want to sort of try and blend it in, but you don't want to follow that curve all the way down. So, yeah, anyway. And, um, yeah, we were sort of talking about how to do this. And he said to me, which I didn't know, thank goodness this guy came around. You don't shoot the nails through both weatherboards. You only go through the thicker section of one of the boards. The board underneath that slides up under the bigger board, under the thick board, but it doesn't get nailed in at the same time. All right. Yeah, which I, I didn't know that. I thought you went through the thick board, through the thin board into the stud. So what this means is I've got to slide the board up underneath and then shoot the nails off while holding it in place, which would be fine if it wasn't a six-meter length of timber. So I'm going to have to try and work out something like put in a nail, slide the board in underneath, and it sits on the nail, mm. then a nail off the piece or something like that. Um, yeah, I haven't quite worked this out. You just <laughs> got to invent like anti-gravity or something. Yeah, just, some, just something yeah. quick, you know, just yeah. write a piece of code or something, yeah. Um, so hopefully this weekend I'll get those up and then I'll have a workshop back, which is going to just be so I can't wait to clean this place up. It is, it is disgusting. This, this um, builder came around. He was like, Oh, you've got such a cool workshop. It's amazing. And out my hands and my head's in my hand. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy's looking at it. It's just <laughs> stuff everywhere. Yeah. everywhere. I know. I know that feeling of shame. It's like, no, don't look in here. Don't look in here. This yeah. should be, this should be my pride and joy, but right now it's a mess. Don't look. Yeah. Um, so other than that, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the vanity top is now done. I've cut out the sinkhole and yeah, what I did was I used some Merbau decking for the top. It's a nice, um, you know, it, it doesn't struggle in, in, um, moist environments and it's all the timber that I've been using everywhere else. I took some decking timber, laminated them on the edges, and then around the outside, I just cut some short pieces, glued them up, um, and then so on the, the end grain, it's a bit of a running bond pattern. And I wasn't sure how that was going to turn out, but looking at it now, so you, when you enter the bathroom, the first thing you see is that end grain of the vanity. It looks so much cooler than I thought it was going to. So that's why I thought with your table, that yeah. would be a, an idea. Yeah, I mean, that... that if this tabletop didn't work out, I would have had to do something like that, I'd say. Mm. But I, so have you done it like equal thickness top and bottom? So 20 and 20 or whatever? Yeah. 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 So that would look pretty cool. Um, I have seen it done somewhere before, which I didn't like the look of because it was, you know, like 30 mil on the top and 10 mil on the bottom. Yeah. And, you know, this was in a higher, higher end furniture store, still mess produce sort of stuff mm. higher end and that was just that just looks cheap but yeah i think equal size i think that would look really cool you could actually get quite 
inventive with it if you needed a say a 40 mil top if you did 20 in the middle and 10 and 10 on either side you know you could yeah, actually yeah. you could make that a, a feature make it an actual pattern but yeah yeah so vanity is installed did you film any of the, the vanity so the whole the whole bathroom process i got up to um tiling and then i just put the camera down i said that's it i'm done yeah. my life my life is gonna in terms of youtube my youtube existence stops here and as soon as the bathroom is done, it will continue. Yeah, because, okay. I mean, you'll, you'll appreciate it. Even if you aren't necessarily filming with any intent, it is, there is still always going to be overhead mm -hmm. when you're filming. Well, that's it. Like this build that I'm doing now, it's going to go from, oh, look, he's machining timber. And, oh, there's a completed tabletop. Because I just, <laughs> I, oh, so it's like, you know what? I'm stopping. I, I can't focus on this and this yeah. at the same time. I got to do this. Yeah. So I, I know the feeling very well. The other thing as well um, is that I, ah, and some people have, well, many people have commented on this in some of my previous videos, but now I've become a lot better at hiding it. I don't always wear shoes and I probably should. And, and you know, I know working with tools and no shoes is a dumb idea, but because of my nine to five job, I don't have big chunks of time to work. So I'm, I put the phone down and I've got, 15 minutes and I run and I bash in some nails and then I'm, you know, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. And I hate wearing shoes, especially in this hot weather. And most of the time I don't have a shirt on either. So the thought of having to put clothes on and just get, it just become a mess. So is that, is that for the paid membership side? Is it the, yeah, uh, yeah. The top of yeah. <laughs> I'm working on a calendar yeah. <laughs> because, because of that, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to in the 30 degree heat of, you know, 900% humidity, put on a shirt, put on a shoes. This is all taking time to go into the workshop and bash something out 15 minutes and then stop the camera. So mm. that's why I just, I just put it all on hold. I'll finish it up and then I'll get back into doing project videos. Yeah. I get that. Cool. Yeah. So get it done. And then I can't wait. I've got, I've got a project lined up. It's a, it's an Oak coffee table. And I'll get onto that as soon as I have my workshop back. What sort of oak? I don't know. It came from oh. uh, <laughs> bedheads. My hey. in-laws, it's the old bedheads. So I'm chopping that up and they are, it's, it's from South Africa. Um, okay. They are 99% sure it's an oak, but be, being from South Africa, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what it would be. I saw this really beautiful South African wood. It was, they call it yellow pine, but it's not actually pine. Mm. And it was just this most stunning. It had this yellow and red streaks throughout it. It was quite soft, so I, I wouldn't want to use it for like tables or anything, but it was just stunning. Who was working on a pine? Uh, Andy Rawl. Did Andy a pine... Rawl. Andy Rawls or Rawl did a pine entry table today, uh, uh, this week out of some lo long leaf pine? I don't know. My, so, I don't know pine. Like, I just, I know radiata and that's about it. And Oregon. Yeah. So, yeah you, I, I mean, you could radiata. see straight away. You could see straight away there was pine, but I think it was long leaf. I think is what it was called. Yeah. And <clears throat> about a, a 200 even more wide board and yeah, it's just so funny when you see like these top guys who are walnut and maple, and then they make something out of pine. Now, granted, it's a it's a beautiful, probably very yeah. 
expensive type of pine, but it's, it's still pine. And we, when they put the oil on, you just think it looks like Bunnings furniture, you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny though, because like I watch people like um, Guy Dunlap and he uses poplar, which is a really mm. nice pine. And he says, oh, this is just, you know, second second grade crappy wood. We use it as a substrate. Whereas if it was me, if I had access to poplar, I would want to make a feature out of it because like you just don't get it in Australia. Ah, so is poplar, I didn't think, I didn't know poplar was, was a, fairly sought after wood. I thought it was just I mean, another version just, of pine. It is just another pine. It's just a nice pine. It's like, you know, you have A grade and B grade, but poplar is just super clean and, you know, I've used it a few times and I just love working with it. But So, uh, John Peters, who I've talked about before, he actually uses poplar because he's allergic to pine. He's got a skin allergy. Yeah, right. You just, you wouldn't think something like pine could do that. It's just so ubiquitous. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, so this week, we're going to finish off the finishing topic. We uh, have done two previous weeks. So if you're listening to this on iTunes and it's your first one, we've done two previous episodes, one where we got actually both where we got quite uh, technical and scientific about the finishes. Yeah, we did. So this episode, this is going to be the last one. I, I want to try and keep it a little lighter, George, so we don't need to talk about chemical bonds and, and all of that. Oh, that's a shame. I'll put away my spreadsheet. <laughs> and uh, also, I want to try and get a bit more into questions. So anyone listening in the chat, um, feel free to shoot your questions. We'll, we'll try and answer a few more this this episode. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about this before the show, and I want to open with this because this is a nice contentious point, and that is um, food safe uh, mm. finishes. And what is and isn't a food safe finish yeah so george you said you have a bit of yeah so the first thing i'll do is i'll add a disclaimer because i haven't actually prepared anything to confirm my facts or anything like that so don't take what i'm going to say as gospel um but it's just what, what i understand i think the problem with this topic is is not only it's not only what you just said, but no one really wants to stick their neck out and say this is how it is, unless yeah. it comes from the manufacturer. Now I know you may be thinking, well, that, that makes sense. Why would you ever go, you you know, against what a manufacturer is saying? But I do believe. Again, I can't back it up, and again, I'm not going to be the person to say go ahead and 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 try what I'm saying. But I do believe that there's a bit of a a stigma about finishes and what, what aren't on food safe. And because manufacturers have been saying it needs to be done like this for so long, we're all just believing it because they've been saying it, but no one's actually st- stepping back and saying, hang on, that doesn't necessarily make sense. That's yeah, absolutely. And also like to another extreme and I mean, it's not woodworking, but another extreme is if you look at steel, like everyone says, Oh, you need three or two or three, one, six stainless steel because it's food safe. But like, then again, I have like, who has a problem putting in any old cutlery into their mouth? I don't question what sort of steel it is. It's metal. It's metal is metal. Right. But it is yeah. still food safe metals. And it's just, you know, yeah. stupid. Um, so, but yeah, yeah. With with like the first thing I'll say is, uh, if you want to be safe with food safe finishes, get food safe finish. Like you know the stuff that is cold food safe finish. That that's the safest way. Um, but on top of that, 
I use mostly a mineral oil, which is a paraffin wax, or if you call, I think it's called mineral oil or um, liquid paraffin is the other word it's called. Mm. They're all the same thing. It's basically baby oil. It's just got none of the scented stuff in there. Mm. Um, a few reasons why I use it. Uh, I can get it at 20 liters at a time for relatively cheap from a whole wholesale um, food oil supplier. Right. So they do canola oil for deep fryers, but they also do food safe oils. And that's I hope, I hope it's not the old deep fryer oil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making diesel in my spare time. Sorry, do you um, get that on? Is that online or do you have to, do you have to get uh, it? Yeah, I do get it online. Uh, what are their, their name? I think they're called Food Safe Oils Australia. Pretty pretty easy to remember. I'm going to look that up because I've been going buying it. You know the small uh, orange oil uh, bottles. Yeah. Fantastic stuff, but you know it's going to put me out of business, so to speak. Well, if I another really good source, and this is something I su- I've kind of suggested to a lot of people because mineral oil is mineral oil. I don't know what makes it different between food grade and not food grade, but go to a vet, uh, like a commercial uh, farm vet supplies so what's the word i'm looking for farm vet um agriculture yeah agricultural supply with you know animal stuff and ask for their um horse paraffin oil they use it as a a laxative for horses and cows and all sorts of animals on your farm Mm. and it's it's the exact same stuff you can get it two liters at a time like 19 bucks and it'll last you forever yeah um so veterinary supply places are a really good source for it too um, but yeah, I wonder, if, I wonder if you'd be able to get that then through the university because you know you often have your agricultural yeah. wing university. I wonder if that's somewhere. I'm just thinking back to when I was living in Adelaide, there was a, a campus, the agricultural campus was there. So I wonder if they would, I mean, just a thought if you've got one nearby and you want yeah. to get it, yeah. I mean, any and I think any like if you make a good relationship with the vet they will at least know suppliers of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like they might not have it on their shelf, but they'll be like, oh, yeah, just contact this person and they'll, they'll hook you up. Um, so that, that's mineral oil. Uh, what I actually do with my chopping boards and my bowls is I make my own food-grade uh, breadboard butter. So that's, that's just the mineral oil, which I heat up in a pan. I add, you know, about a third of that. I'll add, um, sorry, to, to that I add a third of that quantity of just beeswax i melt it in and then the two like just separate into one another once it cools it's kind of a hard paste and you just rub that in let it sit overnight and you buff it off um i've been told quite a few times that almost every finish is food safe once it's cured and i'm sure everyone's heard that yeah but if you go onto the manufacturer's website and you download the ms what, what are they called mds msdn whatever it is Something like that. Yeah. But their materials data safety sheet. MDS, actually, yeah. It's MDS, MDS, yeah. Uh, you won't be able to find that stated anywhere on it. So it's like, it's probably fine, but I can't confirm it. So, yeah. like, it's so much to do with food safe. But you can get food safe polyurethanes, which are stated as food safe polyurethane. Oh, but right. Like, you read the can, and its cure time is three weeks before you can put food <laughs> on it. So it's like it's not really the most time-efficient sort of thing. Mm. Um, I've heard from heaps of places that all epoxies are technically food-safe, and then you know an argument for that is you put 
plastic in your mouth every day and you don't worry about it. So well, yeah, for me, it's what epoxy is. It's the laminate countertops. Yeah, I mean, phenolic resin and all that sort of stuff. What what goes onto your countertops? Um, I mean, I don't pre- prepare my food on my countertop purely because I don't want to scratch the the um, the laminates. But I wouldn't think twice about doing it. I don't clean yeah. food off when it's been on the counter. So yeah, but then that, I wonder if that goes back to the the cure time. It's become it's a note by the time we get it. So well, that that's probably got a lot to do with it as well. Mm. Um, but I mean, I was going to say a few things. Uh, this is total rambling, so if I'm getting out of control, just stop me. But with oils, a lot of people will use things like olive oil to reseal their chopping boards in their kitchen or their fruit bowls. Mm-hmm. But like, it's such a bad move because those I sorts of last oils week will and I wanted fester. to ask. Yeah. Now, like, what does that mean? So I've used olive oil on a breadboard before, and I still use it to this day, and it's still fine. So, like, nine times out of ten, it's fine, but it's when you keep applying it onto itself. It's essentially, it's non-hardening, so the oil is always going to be an oil, and it will also kind of grow mold. So, if you've got a really old tin of olive oil sitting on, like, your barbecue shelf because you use it on your hot plate, which you shouldn't use olive oil for because it burns, but anyway... um, you'll see that it kind of gets this green kind of tinge around the nozzle of it. And that is actual kind of mold forming to it. And that can happen Ah. on your chopping board. So what you really want to use is non-festering oils. Like I think, and don't quote me on this, but grapeseed oil is a really good one for chopping Mm. boards because it is non-festering. There's also flaxseed oil. It's bloody expensive in Australia, but you know, you can get flaxseed oil for it and that's the same. Um, there are food safe linseed oils, but the smell to me, I just, it's a little bit too strong to put on something that you're going to put some nice fresh bread on. Like, right. Sorry, food safe linseed, surely linseed oil would by definition well, be food safe? All linseed oil should be food safe, but it's the additives they put into it. So ah, yes. know, if they've thinned it or whatever. So basically when they say, when they state food safe, you can just be sure that if there is any additives, all the additives are food safe. Um, well, so. you can be sure. Massive quotation. Yeah. I saw something on the news the other day about a, a guy in Australia. wasn't too long ago. Uh, ate something that was peanut-free. It just went into meltdown, anaphylactic shock because they'd, they'd got it wrong. Yeah, right. So, not, not, <laughs> not, to, <laughs> not to make everyone cynical, but don't always trust the labels. Well, that, that is actually another thing. Mm. Label, labels can, can be misleading. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what else can I talk about with food safe finishes? Because <laughs> I only really use the, the few that I've just, mentioned. Just going back to the festering. So in my mind, yeah. when because I've heard that term be used before, when I've thought about festering oils, I expect to take out my chopping board and there's like things alive attacking me on it. What what would a fest? Have you seen a festering? Oh, oh oil? yes, yes. What I does have. it look like? Uh, well, the like? oil it's more the smell, so it stinks. Mm. Like if you've gone into an old old share house and you walk in the kitchen and you open the drawer and you get that disgusting share house smell of like just soaked up particle board it, it just smells just like that like just moldy damp moldy and like you touch it and it feels slimy as well on the surface like you shouldn't like 
you shouldn't touch something which is getting food prepared on it and have this oily residue left on your hands. It should be mm. sort of dry to the touch, right? And it certainly shouldn't smell. Like if, if anything, it should smell pleasant, mm. not rancid. Yeah, because I'm going to go upstairs now and try, uh, well, check on that board because I haven't used it in ages. And if you're ever going to get a moldy board, it's going to be here in tropical North Queensland where it sits in the cupboard. And yeah, everything's growing here. Yeah. Permanently. Um, I saw Dan asked if there's an ideal way of cleaning food safe wooden things. Mm. Um, uh, it, it does depend on a lot of things, but there is a really good uh, history to using salt, like rock salt. And that's just kind of semi-dissolved in warm water and you scrub the board down with that and then you rinse it with oh. uh, warm soapy water. Uh, it's kind of an old-timey practice for butcher blocks, so like real butchers, butcher mm. blocks to get rid of that meat-stained smell. But it works really well for cleaning all sorts of wooden things. It's slightly abrasive though, so if you've got a shiny really nicely polished kind of board you probably wouldn't want to use that method um but if it's nice and shiny there's very little chance of stuff sticking to it anyway so warm soapy water will work just fine mm. uh, a few weeks ago i mentioned rubio monocoat um they actually sell a specific cleaner for their product which you spray on and and wipe off mm. uh, and that is technically a food safe finish although it's bloody expensive 400 dollars a liter so not many people would justify um buying that for their their food safe bowls or that's insane oh it's insane but it goes a really long way like that one liter ah, okay. cover 50 square meters it's it's a big chopping board yeah very big yeah so greg just saying yeah i've used yeah, grapeseed grape oil seed. from ld works well hmm. yeah i've seen the grapeseed oil before um and always wondered if they would work in the same way. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. So, but bottom line is there's no such thing as, well, I guess you did say there is a polyurethane, but really there's no such thing as a, a hardening finish for a chopping board. No, I mean, it doesn't exist. I, the only one I know of is that $400 a liter Rubio Monaco, and that's a resin impregnated oil basically so it's got this natural resin in it which is probably rosin but they won't announce what it is mixed in with their i think it's linseed oil mm. um mixing with that and that is a hardening finish but remember when it comes to film finishes or hardening finishes if you're going to be cutting on it like you you'd want it for a fruit bowl i can understand but if it's for a cutting board or something that's going to get abuse hard finishes chip and fall away like yeah. any film will so it's it's also not the best thing to use mm, mm, like but that's what i mean there's no you, there's there's no such thing as a as a hardening uh finish that does chip that you it's okay for you to ingest like think about something i, I don't know what cornstarch or something like that right they use that because if you ingest that it's not a problem so there's no such thing as a as a a, 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 a film finish that you can ingest. When I say it like that, it sounds, yeah, it sounds weird. Chucking <laughs> polyurethane, but you know what I mean. There's no yeah. such thing. Yeah. Well, not that I know of, anyway. I mean, you know, all the fish in the oceans are ingesting tiny microplastics every day, and they seem to be living. So, who knows how bad it is for you? <laughs> all right. So we're also going to talk about oils as a finish. Um, 
I know we briefly talked, uh, not last week, the week before, about what oils are made of, but I was really interested to find out the best way to use oil as a finish because Joey's talked about in the past where he actually gets a really nice shine with an oil. So you've used oils in that way, right, John? Uh, yeah, yeah, in the past. I don't really do it that much anymore just from a cost-saving point of view, but I have. So if I was to finish something in oil, let's say uh, maybe not linseed oil, Danish oil or something like that, mm-hmm. what's the process to get that real nice luster, I think was is the word you should be using? Well, uh, a Danish oil, remember, has a varnish in it, so it's not a pure ah, oil. Sorry, so yeah, it's, you're still, right. it's still generating a film. Um, so maybe that's not the best example for a pure oil. But if you're using, say, tongue oil, tongue oil that's yeah. probably a good example if you're doing a, a pure oil finish. Um, it comes down, from my understanding anyway, it comes down to a couple of things. One is surface prep. So with a film finish, your film will fill in little voids. Mm. You know, so you can sand to 180 and, and you're pretty confident that you'll get a really good thing. But with an oil, you're not necessarily going to fill in those voids. So you're mm. sanding or even better would be scraping and hand planing because you're actually severing the fibers then. It has to be way higher. So... People that use a lot of oil will sand all the way up to 600 grit before they even touch the oil. Mm. Um, so that, that's probably the biggest thing. So if you want a high sheen finish, you sand to a high grit. So you're actually getting a slight polish before finish is even applied. It's funny. A couple of the hardwood projects that I've done, I think back to that um, Jarrah table that I made. Before I even applied the finish, there was already a sheen on the table. So I guess that's what you're talking about. You've got to get exactly you've got to get to that level before the oil. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So basically you want it to look what you want it to look like before you apply the finish, which is yeah. a weird way of finishing, but it's the way it kind of works. I'll tell you what, when I when I first started getting into this, I was using film finishes like polyurethane with the mentality of this will fill in some of the, you know, the any of the imperfections but it never, ever, ever worked. Now yeah. it's just a case of that table's got to look as good as, it can, as, as you can get it. It's got, to be, it's got to be finished before you finish it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's the same principle as like automotive painting. You, mm. you want that to be the prep. Everything comes down to the prep. If your prep isn't done right, your finish isn't going to come out right. And that mm. is especially true with, an, I mean, it's especially true with any finish, but oil in particular. Uh, the other thing is is time. Uh, oil takes way longer to set than a polyurethane. There's no hardening agents in it unless it's got something that's naturally occurring. So mm. don't wipe on an oil and leave a puddle. You know, let leave a puddle for a while so it soaks into the grain, but wipe it off. Yeah, it's not it's not going to flash off. So if you have that, you're going to get a really kind of soft spot, which when you go to wipe it away, it's kind of sticking to itself so it doesn't want to come off and you basically have to sand that whole thing down again and you can't start at 600 grit you got to start from 80 it's a pain in the butt what how how long does something do the different tongue oil linseed oil do they have different drying times or is it all roughly the same uh i couldn't i mean i'm not educated that much between oils but i would say they've all got a fairly similar curing time tongue oil often will come thinned uh, mm. like pure tongue oil is really gloopy 
like really thick. So most of the time it's kind of thinned in something, Spirit of Terps or something like that. Mm. Uh, so that probably would cure a little bit faster just because it flashes off and leaves less oil kind of on the surface. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't say that everything's the same or how long, but generally speaking, 24 hours is pretty much what I would do. So if I've applied it at 10 a.m., I wouldn't apply anything again until 10 a.m. the following day. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. with a polyurethane, it's pretty safe to just wait six hours. Or with a lacquer, it's pretty safe to wait 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so time mm-hmm. is not necessarily your friend. But I think a good thing about oil finishes is it's also more forgiving. So yeah, if... For example, you've got a, a piece that's very tricky to finish, like my bookcase that I just finished where there's 100 components to go. Oil was a really good choice there because it doesn't necessarily leave lapping, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stick to itself. So you can go right. over it and, oh, no, a little bit of oil's fallen down here. Well, just wipe that bit in and come back to it and, yeah. and it should be fine because right? you've yeah. got enough working time that if you leave a little bit of oil that's dripped on the surface, you'll have a dark spot, but by the time you go over it in a few minutes, that dark spot's disappeared. Oh, so you still do have so you do still have it affect the, the heavier spots do affect. I just assumed you could just you could just puddle it in and do a thin patch there and they would eventually even out because mm. the oil soaks through. They will even out, but remember that a lot of oils have a self like some ingredient in them naturally occurring that is hardening it's like a slight resin inside them so if you've left a deep puddle there and you wipe it off if it started to harden in that little section Mm. you're going to be hard pressed to get everything to get an even coat so it's more forgiving than polyurethane for sure like because you've literally got a film on top of the the workpiece that Mm. you now have to remove but you can still get those kind of spots, so you do need to be mindful. So if you've seen a drip, just wipe it so it's nice and thin. Don't worry about, you know, blending it in perfectly. Mm, I must keep that in mind. I've been pretty pretty slack with that. But the thing is, the time frame that you're working with, like most of the time you would have a piece done in 20 minutes. The oil is going to do next to nothing in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. As far as drying, so. That's true. Now, Finishing in general uh, seems to be a pretty understood concept that everyone finishes the project. I think it was a Steve Ramsey video that he did a while ago. Uh, I wouldn't be able to quote anything from it. It was was that long ago. But he talks about not applying finish in certain cases. Yeah. I think he was talking about shop furniture. But is there ever a case to not do it? I know, for example, that tea box that I made, we finished the outside of the box and not the inside, which your your immediate reaction is you can't you can't finish one side of a piece of wood. That's just recipe for disaster. But the logic behind it was that the timber would absorb all the tea bag smells. And so when you open up the box, you have this amazing smell. Yeah. Um, I, there's totally, totally, what's the word? Um, but yeah, yeah, there's totally justifiable means. Like, example, you get a patina buildup way quicker on, on the finished piece. 
So like uh, something that is handled a lot by people, like handles of your hammer or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily put a finish on that, but your natural skin oils over periods of months to years will actually kind of impregnate, put a patina on that piece of wood, and you've got this beautiful yet very used look to it. And if you're so, using a if you're using a hardwood, like a hard hardwood, yeah, it's, I don't I I don't think that it. I've got a an X ha- uh, handle that I made out of sort of just a scrap of chara. I think I I think I put a, a a super thin coat of oil on it, and it was just as a you know for the for the camera. Wow, look at the grain on this. Mm. But I've never used one since. It's it's almost certainly long evaporated. Yeah. But it's still got that shine just from my hands rubbing yeah, on it. It's that natural patina. Um, there's also woods that don't need finish. Like teak is a really good example. Teak mm. is this huge resin, uh, not resin, sorry. It's really waxy. So you, you can just burnish teak if, if you wanted to. You could just get some shavings and burnish it in until you get a nice little buildup of uh, you know, a sheen, and then you can call that project done because it's self-lubricating wood. Um, there's woods. Uh, I can't. I imagine Merbar would be very similar to that as well because of its high tannin content. Tannins, yeah. I mean, tannins is a funny thing. Tannins can behave really strange because it will stain very easily, like it's reactive. So, I think you still would want to finish Merbar because of the black staining if water gets on it. Yeah. So but, I guess there you're doing more from a saving but that's <laughs> saving everything a, around it yeah. exactly it's preservation more than a necessity yeah um that you know ships used to use really hard wood like mulga for bowl bearings and you wouldn't put a finish on that because the finish is literally softer than like any finish is softer than the wood so you just ah, leave the bowl of, of timber and that's your bowl bearing like there's there's always a means for it um as a furniture maker though and as a furniture maker that makes 90% dining tables, you want to finish everything equally on both sides because it, it helps with timber movement and it ensures that you're losing you know, enough moisture is leaving each side of the workpiece at the same rate. Yeah. Um, in a dresser, though, because the dress is kind of sealed up, you'll often see a dresser is finished really well on the outside and then it's maybe one coat on the inside. It's just kind of a sealing ah. coat. And that's, that's one, yeah. it's cost-saving, but it's also not necessary because it's kind of sealed in. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, your amount of air movement in there is going to be next to nothing, provided yeah. you've built it properly. Exactly. So you still want to put a little bit of finish in there. And if it's a high-end piece, you'd want to finish it just so it looks the same inside and out. But there's no point. And that's why if you go to anywhere like Nick's Galley or Freedom Furniture and you look inside mm. of these things... Nothing's finished, or it looks like it's not finished, but it's had one coat, or or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, the the vanity that I've put together is a super super cheap one from from Bunnings, and the back panels are is that hardboard? Yeah, probably a few mil. Masonite. Masonite, and that's yeah. one that has not been finished. And what a dumb idea to 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 not finish it in the bathroom. I now what? have these these like. Um, I don't know what they look like fruit bowls because mm-hmm. they they just cup to just you know all hell. Yeah, but I guess yeah, if you, if you're not if it's not you know going to get affected by moisture because it's inside something, yeah, 
That's a that's and that goes back to the tea box idea that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, it's a sealed box. Now I could. There's a different science between humidors. I don't know anything about humidors or their thing, but I'm pretty sure it's common practice to not finish the inside of a humidor because it's better for the cigar. Like it keeps it. I don't know. Wicks hmm. it in. I think something like that. So there is like science behind it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's going to conclude the finishes discussion. Anything else you wanted to add to that, George? Or is, is, are you happy oh, with that? Hopefully I didn't butcher it too much, but I think, I think I'm happy there. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, that's going to finish it then. I hope everyone's got what they wanted out of it. Probably not. We'll probably do this again sometime in the future because it's one of those topics that I don't think you ever really um, finish clarifying. But for now, that's going to be it. We'll get to Mm. A different topic next week. Um, yes. Whatever that is. <laughs> so, uh, John, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I have been watching Guy Dunlap's newest video. I think we've recommended him on a prior episode. If not, mm. we should have because he has some really cool stuff. Uh, but he's making like a, a curved, I can't even know what, what are they called. Basically, a round, half round table that sticks out of the wall. The name of it has escaped me. But he's done a really cool um, bricking. So he does the curved front and instead of what, floating. like floating, yeah, floating, that's the word. But if I was to think, oh, how would I make this curved thing? I would think I'll do bent lamination on a, on a mold and do it. But instead he's used a method called bricking, which I have seen before, but uh, he kind of takes the mystery out of it and simplifies it really nicely. So, never, never heard of that before. Bricking. Yeah. You just, it's basically stacking it like bricks, cutting the curve into it, and then essentially oh, okay. it's like a plywood. You're making your own plywood, and uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. Is that a common thing used with turners? I've got a, I've got Frank Howarth in my mind, the way yeah. he puts together his bowls. Very similar to the segmented bowls. Yeah, um, segmented bowls. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's exactly the same thing. So, okay. Yeah. So Joey and, uh, popped us a link. He's been looking at a Rubo workbench. I can't remember who it's by. Um, the links, of course, are in the, the description down below. So he's been working on a Rubo, work, oh, watching a Rubo workbench. And I, have, I watched a video by Paul Jackman, Jackman Works, this week, uh, a router table, which he put together. Just, I've, I always enjoy his videos because he's one of those guys who, He's an interesting enough character that when he does something funny, it is legitimately funny. It's not, you know, there's a lot of guys, myself included, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, where you try and do those typical video tropes and they just come off as forced. But Paul Jackman just nails it every time. Anyway, he made the super cool uh, router table. Very interesting. Uh, he did one particular thing with the rails which he talked about. I, I don't have a rider table, so I don't have a whole bunch of knowledge on this, but he did something with the rails, which was um, quite unique. So it's hmm. definitely worth looking into. Um, Cuffy, floating sunburst demoline table. That Rolling sounds table. Is that, that the one? That's what Guy was doing, yeah. It's yeah. a floating sunburst demoline table. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Cuffy. <laughs> that's the one. Cool. All right. Uh, well, that, that, that'll do it for tonight. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Joey wasn't able to make it tonight, but that's all right. I, I feel like we we worked it well in his absence. John, anything else you want to add before we round it up? 
Uh, no, just thank you for uh, not being too mean to us. <laughs> When's your next video coming up? Oh, gosh. Hopefully over this weekend I'll have the guitar stands out um, and the drill press video should be out on Maker Addiction maybe tomorrow. It mm. depends how far I get tonight. I'm going to stay back and get this damn table glued up so I can spend some time editing. Mm. Cool. All right, yeah. everyone. Well, thanks to everyone in the chat. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys again same time next Thursday. Catches.